welcome to another episode of What's Brewing, CISFA. What's Brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve currently as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Today will be probably a short show as it's only news, so it's just you and me and the news. Let's get this show started. Again, welcome to another episode of What's Brewing CISFA. Let's start the show, everyone, with our first cups. Although I've moved on from my first cup, and it's just sparkling water from here until lunchtime. So today, we have some news items for you. Uh, I have Dana off on assignment, which means doing regular work. But we'll have her back for a Friday show that we may tape tomorrow on Thursday. This is your Tuesday show taped on a Wednesday. So hopefully that doesn't confuse everyone. First off in the news world, uh, dear colleague letter that came out just a week ago about the requirements for distribution of voter registration forms. This is a letter 22-05 from April 21st and our partners over there at Department of Ed. So the letter outlines the Higher Ed Amendments, or Act, I should say, HEA, the Higher Education Act, requirement for certain institutions in most states, and that includes the District of Columbia, to make good faith effort to distribute voter registration forms to students. So as it starts off here, you know, on March 7th, 2021, President Biden issued an executive order to expand access to voter registration and election information. As stated in that uh, executive order, the right to vote is foundation in American democracy, uh, yet many students, or I should say uh, Americans, do not partake of that right. And so under here it says, you know, under section 487-A-23 of the Higher Education Act, as amended, Eligible post-secondary institutions like colleges and universities are supposed to make a good faith effort to distribute a mail voter registration form uh, requested and received from the state to every student enrolled in a degree or certificate program and physically in attendance at the school uh, and to make those widely available, make those forms available to students at the institution. <laughs> the requirements were outlined in a Dear Colleague letter from back in 2013 And you can find also guidance under voter registration in Volume 2, Chapter 6 of the Federal Student Aid Handbook. So there's more information there. This is something some people uh, wonder why we're talking about it on a financial aid show. But one of the interesting things about uh, the feds, if you want to call them that, and that's what I do tend to call them, and in no way to be derogatory. But if you are an institution that do uh, offer federal financial aid, you sign an agreement between the school and the feds, the Department of Ed. That indicates you'll also meet other requirements. And of course, the federal government does what they do best, which is they make sure they have all those requirements inside that document. So this includes uh, things like, uh, you know, of course, you have to be an accredited institution. You offer approved degree and certificate programs. But then there's these other things. What some schools might uh, 
might consider, or what many of us put under the title of consumer information uh, for our school. And so this means that we do things like we have voting registration information available. We have to have a complaint resolution process. We have to make certain that, uh, and this was instituted shortly after 9-11, a Constitution Day. And we have to meet certain requirements for that. We have to offer certain types of drug and alcohol abuse prevention programs. And so there's just a lot of requirements, you know, everything from how you present the information to your students and or prospective students to what information you have out there. And so, again, including in that is this information about voting. So voting registration. So I know out on my website, we connect right to the lavote.gov website, um, which is the office here in L.A. County, the registrar recorder, county clerk office, to help students who or anyone find out how they can vote. So coming from the Department of Ed here at, at the Federal Student Aid website, just a new updated Dear Colleague letter on this topic. I've said enough. Let's move on to an article at Inside Higher Ed. This posted again just at the start of this week, and the article is called More Than FAFSA. It's an opinion piece here. Uh, and Rebecca Vidra writes of her surprise at how much her daughter had to do to apply for aid. I think the title More Than FAFSA kind of tells you so. So she starts off here. Applying for financial aid takes more than a form. So in writing about her daughter, who's a senior in college, obviously submitting admissions applications was one thing. Doing the FAFSA was another. But as it mentions in her article, she talks about something that I've actually sat down with parents to watch them complete and offered some advice and learned quite a bit. Having students apply to private colleges in particular, some of them were on the list that needed a CSS profile or College Scholarship Service profile form. This is a form separate from the FAFSA that many private colleges use to award institutional financial aid. So the College Board created this form many years ago. It's got much of what the FAFSA has on it too, but it goes much more in depth into the finances of the family. So as this article here or this opinion piece talks about, you know, this CSS form, you know, delves into more about expenses, investments, uh, all kinds of things, cost of living for the area. Because again, it's a form that a college may want to use to award money from the school itself. Now, most public schools, if we have need-based non-federal or state aid programs, we're probably just using the results of the FAFSA. We already have the FAFSA for many of our students. We have their data. We have their calculated expected family contribution. And it's relatively easy then to determine aid eligibility. But if I was a school that charged 50000 or more for tuition, maybe I'd want to be more granular on who gets aid. Because we know there's ways, I'm not going to say loopholes or ways around 
uh, the FAFSA to get more aid than what your finances really tell us, you have to consider that the FAFSA is very specific in what information they do ask about income and assets and things like that. It is one form that's trying to help, you know, 16 to 20 million people who apply for aid every year apply through a reasonable form without asking for, you know, multiple years of information, every last dollar you've earned, every last dollar you spent, and where is your family's financial wherewithal at this one point in time. So a decent enough article. Definitely something worth reading here. Uh, So I'm going to give you a link to this article also in our show notes. Interesting article here. Uh, I've been reading a little bit about this recently out at calmatters.org. Name of the article, Debt-Free College. California is on the verge of spending over a half billion dollars to help 360,000 students. And so, in summary, I think the summary touches on it the best. Roughly 360,000 UC and Cal State students may soon receive about $1,000 to up to $3,000 to fund their educations this coming fall as part of California's effort to make college debt-free. Another form of aid to help students at community colleges has a less clear path, and that's the part that uh, was not good for me, uh, but I understand it. So what this is, is this is talking about what they call the Middle Class Scholarship 2.0, and it's slated to receive the first infusion of money, uh, a little over $600 million this year, voted in last year's budget. Uh, an approximately 246,000 Cal State and 114,000 UC students will receive the aid to help finance educations this coming fall. And the idea here is it should cut down on the amount of borrowing some or many students may have to take while attending a university. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It's a lot of money. We'll see if it has real impact. Uh you know, there's some other overhauls happening at the California Student Aid Commission, the people who did the original Cal Grants and Middle Class Scholarship. This is that next version of the Middle Class Scholarship. Article goes on to explain quite a bit more about some assembly bills and other things about the Cal Grant expansion here in the state, how uh, funding will go about uh working towards this idea of, again, trying to drive down the amount of borrowing students must need to do to get through university. So I'll give you a link to this Cal Matters article in our show notes. One last article from Inside Higher Ed before we take a break. This was about rising freshmen's concern with college costs has limits. And so it says here, students would give a lower rank to a college if it cut non-academic amenities to save money, according to a survey. So that's an interesting one. So a study being released just at the start of this week on Monday found that three-quarters of high school seniors who plan to attend a four-year college in the fall are concerned about being able to afford it. One quarter of those had major concerns. Those from lower and middle-income households, black, Latino, Latina, and first-generation students were more likely to have major concerns. Uh, now, none of this is really too surprising, but 
here's the part that, uh, according to the studying group, asked students about how they view well-resourced colleges versus less well-resourced colleges. So one of the statements here says, you know, to address the question, we, ba- we the, the study group, began by asking students whether or not they would generally prefer to attend a less expensive college or university that had fewer non-essential features and services or a more expensive school with more features and services. This would be things like residence life, athletics, fitness centers, dining halls, etc. Assuming each of those colleges had strong academic programs. 44% preferred more features and more expensive colleges and 39% preferred fewer features in a less expensive college. So that's not a huge split here. Um, but there was other questions asked uh, in this survey, according to this, uh, that might point to the fact that there is some line that students will draw in the sand as far as how much in order to save just to go to college. So I'll have you read on, and there is a link to the study in the show, uh, in this article that we'll have the link to in our show notes. Let's have a little musical break here. Come back with a few more articles and get you on your way today. And of course, we're back for what? It's time for a second cup segment here on the show. So fill up time, everyone. So just a few more articles here to go. We have one coming to us from one of the places that I like to read from because they have usually pretty good long, I'm not going to say long-winded, that sounds wrong, but longer articles on things outside the mainstream media that doesn't cover higher ed a lot anyways. This is the James G. Martin Center for Academic Renewal out of North Carolina. So sometimes their articles are very specific to North Carolina, but they do tend to report on things in general about colleges across the U.S. So the title of the article is When Community College is a Good Investment and When It Isn't. So, you know, it starts off with what we all kind of understand, which is, you know, community college is often seen as a cheaper alternative to traditional four-year undergraduate degree programs providing students with a widely accessible means to pursue a post-secondary education without being burdened by tens of thousands of dollars or more in student debt. But does that perception translate into reality? Does community college always pay off? As is often true, the answer is in the data. So according to this, from some analysis of, you know, graduate degree programs that uh, was something done, and we probably have talked a little bit about There was a similar methodology to a study of undergrad programs to determine the financial yield of nearly 17,000 certificates and associate degrees offered by community colleges and other sub-baccalaureate programs. Here's what was found out. You know, so for students who are able to complete their degrees on time, community colleges often provide a handsome return on investment. According to Cooper's study, the median associate degree has an ROI, R, oh yeah, return on investment, ROI of $167,000 for on-time graduates. You know, the difference between the increase in lifetime earnings that a graduate could get as a result of the degree, uh, you know, versus the total investment. 
So when the degrees are broken down by program, study, and rates of completion, the story, you know, gets a little murkier, as they say here. Community college degree programs with the highest ROIs are generally within a few disciplines. Of associate and certificate programs with a return on investment over a million dollars, more than 55% are in nursing or similar fields. An additional 19% are in healthcare-related subjects, such as certification programs for medical technicians. And then the article talks a little bit about North Carolina's, you know, colleges of health science and some of their programs very specifically. Um, you know, as it says here, and this, uh, again, sometimes the reality is just exactly what you assume it could be, but it says most liberal arts and humanity degrees, as well as many vocational training programs, are among the community college programs with the lowest financial yields. Although a few high ROI programs defy the trend, um, exceptions don't make the rule. Some low performers in particular, like North Carolina, includes an associate degree program in teacher education uh, that has an ROI of about 161000 And at another college in their state, an associate degree in design and applied arts has a ROI of a negative, oh, I'm sorry, that was a negative 160000 Same thing for this associate degree in design and applied arts, a negative $195,000. So uh, a very interesting article. Again, some of it's very North Carolina-based. But, you know, I think this is where we uh, tend to get on bad footing when everything has to be broken down to a sound bite, and instead take a viewpoint of get into the details sometimes. You know, we could all say college is worth it. But where is it worth it and where is it isn't? And I probably have at least four or five, maybe six books on the subject in my uh, bookshelves alone. And so it's one of these topics you do want to look at so that if you are talking with family members, friends who have kids going off to college, as long as you're, as far as I'm concerned, educated enough to understand what those returns are and what you're willing to put into it, then, you know, whatever program you decide to do, you do. But, you know, if it's one of these cases where you think that you're going to be, uh, you know, returning with a very high ROI in a program that doesn't have that only because the top tiny percent of graduates who also might have great connections and otherwise get those kind of funds, then you really have to think through what is reality really telling us. So I'm going to give you a link to this article. There's always interesting articles about education at their website. Continuing on, just something that uh, I happen to find out here posted by the California Community College's Chancellor's Office here. And as it says here, this is a YouTube video of all things. It says, San Diego is considered by many to be the craft brewing capital of the U.S. Students with an interest in, in, in the industry can learn about the booming business with Miracosta College's Brewtech Craft Brewing Program. Program is the first and only community college program of its kind to be certified by the Master Brewers Association of America, the MBAA. That's a league you want to be in, everybody. Housed at Miracosa's Technology Cent Career Institute as part of their Community Education and Workforce Development Department, the 280-hour Brewtech Certificate enrolls students twice a year and can be completed in just 15 weeks and leads to direct employment as a brewery technician. So, 
probably a decent video to check out here. It's not too long uh, to find out more about Root Tech Certificate at Miracosa College. I guess, it, you know, just as we know, there's programs at like Napa Valley College and otherwise. There's programs down in our south end, San Diego, uh, on craft brewing. On Wall Street Journal website, because I pay for them, uh, I, I'm one that is more than willing to pay for my news if it's good and I can trust it and covers a lot of areas and has been around for a while. There was an opinion piece, so again, opinion from the editorial board about student loan reparations. As it talks here, Biden takes another big step towards mass debt forgiveness. So I know we've talked a little on and off about this topic I'm not going to go deeper into it, but I will say that it is out there and getting talked about in a number of areas because uh, whether I hear it on the NASFA off-the-cuff podcast or I hear it on the Higher Ed Shift podcast done by Campus Logic that covers a lot of stuff on Higher Ed or elsewhere, it's a topic out there. And I think we're going to hear quite a bit of this as we get closer and closer to the federal government trying to decide Again, if you take it from the current administration trying to do a massive amount of cancellation of debt, or as they've been doing kind of piecemeal things here to kind of like clean up the books, while also saying part of the reasoning for all of this is to try to fix the loan repayment system. You know, part of it's broken by the fact that we have uh, a number of servicers that, um, for good or bad, whether guided uh, internally or from bad information outside, may not have always given borrowers the best correct information on their options available to them. And so we've had a lot of confusion pre-pandemic on that. And then during the pandemic, earlier confusion on deferments, moratoriums, forbearances, whatever you want to call it, whatever was being offered at the time, and how those affected students. And of course, anytime you have millions of people who owe a trillion plus dollars on things like this in a program that's ran by a federal agency using outside servicers. There will be some confusion and every, certainly not everyone's the same case where you graduated college, you have your loans, you have your program, you have your career starting off and you're making loan payments on one of however many different plans. No, it's much more complicated. And so it's going to be interesting. I would say this is a decent opinion piece. It's written with some educational, uh, you know, the idea of education at front. Uh, I always like, at least with the Wall Street Journal, the conversation that follows afterwards, you know, as far as the comment section. Uh, it's pretty interesting because you'll find people on all sides of the aisle, I'll say, uh, making comments. And they generally tend to be pretty good as far as comments. So guess one more opinion piece out there. My last item of the day, I'm going to save for my, uh, my favorite part of the show, you know, the I dare you to section. So let's have a little music to roll us into our last part of the show. like that we are back for what else 
could it be than our last sips? So, my I dare you to is after you get all your friends to sign up to listen to What's Brewing CISFA so that we can get to the point that it's like, wow, maybe we can get some advertisers, which, of course, we would never do because we're a nonprofit. But then follow me on to whatever my next project is, whatever me and Dana do next, is listen to another higher education-related podcast out there hosted by Amy Glenn of Campus Logic. And that's the Higher Ed Shift. They're up to season two already. It's all about things about higher education. And it's interesting. All the topics have been really well done. Uh, They cover a variety of things. Everything from uh, the nerd stuff of, you know, negotiated rulemaking. uh, Stuff about HERF and CARES and all that kind of emergency funding. Enrollment. Basic needs financial aid, the financial aid process, college financing. I'm just looking at some of the episodes. I've listened to them all, and it's a really good show done really well. So I put out there, consider the higher ed shift. I think they just kicked off with season two, so there's not a whole lot of episodes, but you'll find them out there, and it's definitely worthwhile. Otherwise, what else can I say? going to get you out early today go spend your time doing something fun but i do want to thank you our audience for tuning in if you have something to say you can always email us at wbcspike@gmail.com, and don't forget to find us out wherever you can find podcasts these days what's brewing ceasefire is a production of studio 1051 creative collaboration of me and dana yarbrough and this has been episode number 178 recorded wednesday April 27th, 2022. Have a great day. And of course, have a great